Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. In London, this is The Economist. You're listening to Tasting Menu, the best of the week from the paper and our podcasts. I'm Anne McElvoy, and on your menu today, Alan Greenspan, former chair of the US Federal Reserve, on the economic forces behind Brexit and Donald Trump. Can artificial intelligence create art? And why, in the confusion of tongues spoken around the world, Arabic gets a poor deal? But let's start with our cover story, China versus America, our headline this week. America used to believe that trade and cooperation would make China more open and democratic too. But the age of exchanging ping-pong players and pandas is over. We wrote that America now sees China as an increasingly dangerous rival. The Trump administration accuses it of interfering in America's culture and politics, of stealing intellectual property and trading unfairly, and of seeking not just leadership in Asia, but also global dominance. It condemns China's record on human rights at home and an aggressive expansion abroad. China, too, has had a change of heart. Chinese strategists have long suspected that America has secretly wanted to block their country's rise. That is partly why China sought to minimize confrontation by hiding its strengths and biding its time. For many Chinese, the financial crisis of 2008 swept aside the need for humility. President Xi Jinping has since promoted his Chinese dream of a nation that stands tall in the world. We argued that a strong America is right to stand up to China. Mr Trump is also right that America needs to reset expectations about Chinese behaviour. He is not subtle or consistent, but as with Canadian and Mexican trade, American bullying can lead to deal-making. China will not be so easily pushed around. Yet Mr. Trump's willingness to disrupt and offend has already wrong-footed China's leaders, who thought they could count on America being unwilling to rock the boat. But we also urged caution in Mr. Trump's strategy. When America competes with China as a guardian of a rules-based order, it starts from a position of strength. But any Western democracy that enters a ruthless race to the bottom with China will, and should, lose. The new normal is being established now, but there's still time for the two to reach a peaceful understanding. To find out how, read the briefing in this week's issue of The Economist. It's on newsstands worldwide, or you can subscribe from the comfort of your own home. Go to economist.com slash radio offer to get your first 12 issues for $12 or £12. Elsewhere in the paper, we looked at how China is engaging with the world besides America. Chinese media have been in Africa since the 1950s, 
But as a correspondent for our Middle East and Africa section explained, despite staying power, they've struggled to build enthusiastic audiences. The main constraint on the influence of Chinese news is that it is boring. When not showing footage of middle-aged Chinese men in suits talking in a room in Beijing, CGTN has middle-aged African men in suits talking in a studio in Nairobi. So, in the last few years, the Chinese charm offensive has diversified. The first is a mass training programme for African journalists. About 1,000 reporters or others working in media firms attend courses in China every year. A second nascent source of influence is via Chinese investment in private companies. The third and most important development is the expansion of Star Times, a private pay TV company with close links to the Chinese government. Star Times has found that entertainment is power. Its bundles of channels include Chinese Super League football, kung fu movies and soap operas. Star Times even hosts competitions for African actors to dub dramas into languages such as Hausa and Swahili, a move few Western broadcasters have bothered with. But in the long run, fictional dramas may prove more influential than fictional news. Further evidence of the pulling power of make-believe was found in our business section this week. Our correspondent unravelled a curious case in the high Himalayas. Until a few years ago, few tourists made it to Pangong Lake. Those who did were mostly intrepid Western backpackers. The road to get there, which crosses the world's second-highest drivable mountain pass, is a hair-raising icy strip built to ferry soldiers to guard the border with China. But after the lake appeared in two blockbusting films, the scene changed. Now the men in khaki share the road with minibuses full of camera-wielding tourists. Your correspondent was press-ganged into selfies with a crowd of Mumbai office workers. According to the government, the number of domestic tourism trips taken annually by Indians grew almost eightfold between 2000 and 2017 to 1.65 billion. An unmeasurable but significant chunk of that is due to Bollywood. A happy accident for Indian tourist boards, now hoping more neglected spots will become stars of the silver screen. In return for filming in new spots, directors increasingly expect things like permits and security to be sorted out smoothly. Airlines, another of India's fastest-growing industries, promote new routes by reference to films shot nearby. There are downsides. The flow of traffic may be damaging a delicate and near-pristine habitat. Perhaps the next film set there might contain a little encouragement not to wreck the area. Let's turn from the paper to a taste of the week in Economist Radio now. The former chair of the US Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan, was dubbed the man who knew by a biographer after the last financial crisis. But he's also still blamed by many for failing to spot it coming or address it adequately. At 92 years old, he doesn't give many interviews these days. When he joined us on the latest episode of The Economist Asks, we asked him for a diagnosis of our current ills. Brexit is a wonderful example of what happens to a market economy 
when its rate of growth slows down beneath a certain threshold. And I think what engendered Brexit and what is engendering the emergence of Donald Trump in the United States are two major economies slowing significantly below their potential rate of growth. Can America remain the world's biggest economic power? You can hear Dr. Greenspan in conversation with The Economist's own Adrian Waldridge and me by subscribing to The Economist Asks on your podcast app. It's published every Thursday, and we love to hear your responses to it too. For the first time ever this week at Christie's Auction House in New York, a portrait created by artificial intelligence will go under the hammer. A curiosity, certainly, but is it art? And is the algorithm then the artist? We asked Fiametta Rocco on the week ahead for her take. I think it's absolutely tremendous. Look at portraiture. Portraiture was charcoal. It was charcoal on caves. Then it was drawing. Then it was painting. Then in the 16th century, it was... Giuseppe Cimbaldo making faces out of fruit. Then in the 20th century, it was Francis Bacon and his whole distended popes. Then in 2001, you get a portrait of DNA. You know, that sounds like a gimmick, but it's mounted in a frame. It's in the National Portrait Gallery. It's said to be genome portrait. That's what it's called. Is that any more of a gimmick than this? The deeper issue is how every generation makes the art of their time. That's what's happening here. And on our Money Talks podcast, it was the turn of a stalwart of the health industry to revamp for a new generation. For 50 years, the formula of weekly meetings and weigh-ins served Weight Watchers well. There are some 31,000 meetings around the world every week. But now Weight Watchers itself is dropping the weight. Sasha Nauter, our public policy editor, explained why. There's two big trends that they kind of missed out on for quite a while, which is the move to digitalization, and secondly, the move away over the last five or ten years from diet and weight loss. Now it's all about wellness. And so the rebrand, partly just by removing the word weight from their name and becoming WW, they're trying to catch up to these trends and to appeal to a broader audience of people who don't simply want to lose weight, but who more broadly want to be healthy. And finally, our language columnist Johnson sprang to the defence of one of his favourite languages, one that's fallen out of vogue. Arabic is the fifth most spoken language in the world, with more than 313 million speakers. It is an official language in 25 countries, more than any other except English and French, and one of six official languages at the United Nations. As the vehicle of one of the great faiths, Islam, it is widely studied for religious reasons. And yet in Britain and America, less useful languages such as Italian attract legions more learners. Part of the answer is that Arabic today is not really a single language at all. Scholars call it a macro-language instead. Modern Standard Arabic, or MSA, is based on the classical Arabic of the Quran, written in the 7th century, with additional vocabulary for modern life. But oral languages do not sit still for 14 centuries, and spoken Arabic is really a group of dialects different enough to be considered separate languages. 
a daunting prospect for even a hardened linguist. No wonder attrition among learners is high. For every five who take up Arabic, roughly one makes it to advanced classes. Johnson believes Arabic deserves better. Many Westerners might associate the language with today's repressive Middle Eastern regimes, but there is far more to Arabic than that. It is the medium of Moses Maimonides' medieval Jewish philosophy, the novels of Nahib Mafus, and the songs of Feirouz. No region and no people or language should ever be judged on its politics alone. That's the end of this week's tasting menu. But if it was just enough to wet your appetite, you can find more online at Economist.com or from Economist Radio on your podcast app. Don't forget to subscribe and get your podcast delivered fresh to your phone every weekday. And if you like the sound of us, or you'd like to tell us about something you think we should be doing differently, do leave us a review, preferably on Apple Podcasts. I'm Anne McElvoy, and in London, this is the Economist. <laughs> 